You're listening to the Rotoscopers Podcast, Episode 1, The Beauty and the Beast, Time Vortex in the West Wing. podcast for animation addicts, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I'm your host, Morgan Burt. Hi, I'm Chelsea Robson. And I'm Mason Smith. Perfect. Okay, this is a podcast that Chelsea and I have been wanting to do forever. We're huge animation fans, and so finally, after years and years and years, we've decided to get this going, and we decided to call it the Rotoscopers. So, yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. And you, Mason? Oh, Definitely. Okay, so Super excited. let's just go and kind of do introductions about ourselves, who we are, what's important about us, why we're here. I would like to go first. My name is Chelsea Robson, and uh, what am I? So I grew up performing and singing, and that's been my my passion and basically everything that I that I do. Why am I here? Well, I love Disney. I love animation. I love music. I love everything about it. And that is just something that I've come to, it's come to be such a really big part of my life. And so that is one of the main reasons that we're, we are just so excited to be able to talk about what, what is important to us. All right. For my introduction, well, my name is Mason Smith. I am a student uh, of animation at Brigham Young University. Um, I was raised, basically raised on the Disney animated classics. I can quote, quote them all pretty, pretty fairly well. Huge fan. Um, and being an animation student really opened up my eyes to the inner workings of these Disney films that I have grown up to love and identify myself with. Kind of creepy, but but I really love the Disney films. I love talking about film, I love talking about aspects of animation, and I'm just super excited to be part of this podcast. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I met Mason randomly through our love for animation. We started quoting randomly to each other, and it kind of just... I don't know, snowballed from there. And so when I was thinking about podcasts and who I want to do, obviously Chelsea was someone I wanted to be a part of my podcast. She's my best friend. And then I listen to a lot of podcasts and I see sometimes they're all girl podcasts, all guy podcasts. So I felt like those are really unbalanced. And so I really wanted a guy to join our podcast. So Mason, you're our token guy, but also he loves (laughs) animation. (laughs) He loves animation and Obviously, he's a student of animation, so he kind of can put that other side. Because Chelsea and I, were more just fans and commenters. So really, he's the only one that matters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. You're the one making it, and we're the people you need to please. So when are we going to talk about royalties? When you're famous, we'll talk about it, but you're you're just a little student right now. (laughs) Okay, so about me. I'm Morgan Bird. You're interrupting. Just kidding. Okay, I'm Morgan Burt, and I've been wanting to do a podcast forever. I have always loved Disney films. I've always loved animated films. They're always the ones that I turn to, I want to watch. And I remember even when I was 12, I was really excited for, I think it was Pocahontas to come out. And I remember my cousin, I was talking to her about it, and she was 13, you know. And, like, back then, it's a really big deal, that year-age difference. And I remember (laughs) saying, like, oh, I'm so excited for Pocahontas. It's going to be so good. And she's like, I can't believe you like those shows. Those are for kids, and I'm not a kid anymore. And I just remember thinking... (laughs) No, they're not. Like, I love them. And so ever since then, I've kind of, I don't know if it's, I don't know. Something in me loves animation, and I see all the animated films I can. Ultimately, I want to work in the industry one day, more on the business side, because I can't draw. I'm not an artist. I'm not a singer, actor. But anyway, so 
I love animation, and Chelsea and I talk about animation all the time. All the time. So we just decided we might as well record ourselves and let the world, if they want, hear. It's true. Oh, they want. (laughs) They're going to want. So we decided to name the podcast the Rotoscopers Podcast, and that's probably a really dorky name. And a lot of people, every person that I've told so far, oh, that's cool. What's that? Yeah, what is that? I'll let... I'll let Mason explain, I guess. Okay, so why the rotoscopers? Well, rotoscoping, uh, it, that term, it's an animation term going back to the, the Disney classics era. Rotoscoping is a term that uses real life as a reference for your animation. So in rotoscoping, you would project a film of, uh, of, of a live action sequence onto a pane of glass, and then the animators would trace over it, uh, giving their animation a more lifelike appearance. It's quick. It's simpler. Some may argue that it doesn't give as much life to your animation. To me, uh, chess is an important part of animation as as any other element. You've got uh, you got rotoscoping. You also have the motion capturing that you that you see in, in animated movies. My argument is that it, they're both basically tools to get a desired outcome. And we picked that name. Well, Morgan, do you want to explain why you picked that name? Yeah, like we picked the name because. I wanted a name, obviously, that related to animation in general. I didn't necessarily want Disney or DreamWorks, because there's a lot of podcasts out there that are really like Disney-centric or really focused on certain things. So I wanted it to be broad to animation in general. And two, all the good animation names were taken. Don't say that. <laughs> well, some of like, the cool ones that I really wanted. Like, one I wanted Fanimation, like the Fanimation podcast, but that's a ceiling fan website. So... <laughs> They took what it. a waste! <laughs> I, know. I know what a waste of it. So I'm really bummed. So eventually, I I decided on something that no one else had, and so I really liked that it related to you know rotoscoping is something that's used in all forms of animation, and essentially that's what we do in this podcast is we're not actually creating from memory. We're not creating new stuff. We're kind of going over it just as the artist would trace over you know the the live action. We kind of trace over every detail of the movies as we talk about them and, and go through them on the rotoscopers. So I thought it was kind of a cool name. Makes sense. <laughs> oh, good. And you're the only one that matters. And I'm sure Fanimation is going to be suing us soon. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. Maybe we'll buy about a business one. Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. Okay, cool. So, let's go on to the news. So, right now there's not a lot of news going on in animation, so I thought it'd be good to review our thoughts on the films for 2011 really quick. Since this is our first episode, we'll kind of talk about those, and then we'll talk about what's coming up in 2012. So, what were your guys' favorite film of 2011 and your least favorite? So, we'll talk about our our favorites first. Um, I would say, for me, uh, Rio was one of my favorites. It was, I'm going to say... Also because I spent a bunch of time in Brazil, and so I'm a little bit biased in that sense, yes. Yes. But, uh, but it was a great film. I I really enjoyed it. It was very cute, very... It kept my attention quite well. <laughs> so that was one of my favorites. What about you, Mason? Well, I only saw a couple of these movies, uh, seeing as my income is fairly <laughs> limited as a college student. I saw Rango. I saw Cars 2. I also saw Lion King in 3D, the re-release. I was really impressed with the 3D re-release of The Lion King. It had been a while since I'd seen it. And at the time, I was studying 2D animation at Brigham Young University. And uh, I remember seeing it and commenting on on the layout, the the backgrounds of each scene, and also the animation. And it has definitely stood stood up against time. And it is definitely still a quality movie. Uh, Besides the voices and the acting... 
the artwork for Lion King is just amazing. And seeing it in 3D was even better. Um, I saw the first 3D movie I saw last year was Thor. It was quite disorienting with the whole 3D effect, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, disorienting movie in general. But Lion King, it seemed to really fit the whole 3D perspective. I also saw Rango. Um, I it was really good. I really liked how the animators made made such a crazy cool atmosphere with the world of Rango. The texturing and lighting was very good, very effective. All the were super ugly. Have you ever seen the movie? I didn't see Rango. No, I, I really want to see Rango. Ever since it came out, I've been it's been one of the ones I wanted to see and just never got around to it. It's a good technical movie. And back to the characters, all of the characters are so ugly because they're in this dusty old wild west town that they have created and they're so ugly but at the same time they're super appealing because the texturing is so finely detailed and the lighting is so dynamic it really points towards an old west type of movie and i really liked it from an you know from the animation standpoint the the story was pretty good uh, johnny depp was in my opinion his lines his audio and his dialogues were pretty annoying in the movie but you know that's just kind of a the Johnny Depp vibe, but all in all, I liked it. I liked the movie very much. The one film I was disappointed in was Cars 2. I don't know if y'all agree or not. I totally agree. Oh, yeah, Cars 2. It was 2. so disappointing. I didn't it have was. much going, like, much anticipation going into it, so it met my expectations, I guess. Well, <laughs> excellent. Cars 2, Cars 2 tried to, it was a spy movie. You had international, you know, trips on airplanes, and you had epic car chases around the world and you had international spy rings and you had launchers and oil slicks and just so much action if you had a lot of car violence in it for a kid's movie. yeah i thought that too i was like what the heck lots of like lots of like time to die mr meta and they point a laser beam at him or something like that i was like whoa you know this is a kid's movie um, but all in all, I just I just didn't like the focus on Mater. Uh, I think they should have kept him to comic relief. Lightning McQueen, you know, besides the race that he was involved in, he was just a flat character in my opinion. So I was I was quite disappointed. The animation, you know, and everything, the visuals were were stunning. They were ten times better than Cars One, but it just lacked the heart of the first film, and that's what turned me off to it. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like. That was my least favorite of the year. Was Cars Two. Just because all those things you mentioned, I'm not a huge Cars fan to begin with. I'm, that's probably my least favorite Pixar film. I don't know. I agree with you with the Mater thing. I, I'm i not a huge Mater fan, and it was all, it was just the Mater show. Yeah. And there's so much, like, Mater hick that you can stand. <laughs> so, that was my least favorite movie. But um, my favorite movie of the year, I would have to say Tintin. I just recently saw it. It was the one of the last ones released of the year. I did like I did see Winnie the Pooh also, and that was sweet and cute, but not, you know, amazingly grandiose, nothing revolutionary. <laughs> it was it was a good installment in the Winnie the Pooh franchise. But Tintin, I thought it was just it definitely was very simple and fast paced, and the animation, you know, it was essentially CGI's version of rotoscoping, which is motion capture. So, right. you know, motion capture, they, they put people in suits and then the actors, you know, record the dialogue and then their motion is captured onto the computer and then they kind of animate it from there. But most of the animation is already done because the actors have already done. And so a lot of times, you know, you kind of fall into dangerous territory when you're doing motion caption because it looks too real. It's kind of creepy. I think a lot of people think of Polar Express yeah. and there's just something off-putting 
Um, because with, you know, motion capture, you kind of fall into the, the uncanny valley, <laughs> as they call it. Anyways, but I thought this was the first motion capture film that I've seen where they did it successfully. I think they, they modified a lot of the main characters a bit that they kind of were, they were real, but they were more cartoony. Like there was the set of detectives. They definitely had elongated noses that were more like caricature. And I think that kind of off-putted the realism of it. Anyways, I thought the story was really good and just, you know, it kept me excited the whole time. Um, I didn't see as many movies this year as I'd like to, but I'm going to, especially now that I'm doing the podcast. I think we'll all agree to that. All right. Okay. Yep. We, we have an obligation our, now. <laughs> our clubhouse pact. <laughs> so that was last year for me. It was really good. Very good. So, you know, speaking on that, what is going to be in, t- in store for 2012? Okay. So let's just go through it real quick. So the first one coming out pretty soon is The Secret World of Arietti. And this is from a studio in Japan. It's essentially The Borrowers, which is a different name. So I haven't read the books. I'm not too big on Japanese animation. I'll probably see it. But what are you guys' thoughts? I'll probably see it. I was a fan of the books. I, I don't remember on, like, like word for word, obviously. But I, I remember liking them growing up. And so I'll probably end up seeing it. I, for one, see the, the secret world of Arietti. I'm excited about it. I like I- Studio, um, that's doing it. They also did Princess Mononoke. They did Spirit Way, which is an amazing movie. Uh, my opinion on Japanese animation is that sometimes it can get really intense and really just really crazy. I tend to lean more towards uh, American animation, but this is this is very friendly Japanese animation. I guess you could put it that way. It's not as intense, but it's still an art form and it's still beautiful. I saw the previews for it. Uh, when I, I was went, going to see another movie, I forget what it was, but I saw the previews for it. Amy Poehler is doing the voice of, of one of the characters, and uh, I love her, and, and I think it's going to be a good film. It looks, they put a lot of adventure into the Borrowers universe, and I think it's going to work out. I'm definitely excited for this movie. Cool, yeah, I actually am too, So, which is a good thing. The That's ones good that, that my, Miyazaki puts out are quite well produced. Okay, so next one coming up a bit after that is Dr. Seuss's The Lorax. That's by Illumination Entertainment. I'm not a huge Dr. Seuss fan, but I will see it. It does look interesting from the preview I saw. I just, I, everything that I've ever seen about this book or anything just to me has like a moral written all over it. And I'm just not a fan of of movies or anything where it just like they spoon feed you the moral throughout the entire thing. So, I mean, it's a good concept and everything, but it's just like... I I want to decide that I that I like you know trees. On my <laughs> own. <laughs> I want to decide this on my own, not them like telling me this huge long story about these different trees that get cut down and now it's no longer there. But you know it should be. It looks kind of cool. Like they look the Dr. Seuss adaptations from what I've seen have been pretty good. So you never know. It, it might turn out to be something good. Huh. Well. Lorax, that well, this movie is the new territory for me. I'm, so I'm completely unfamiliar with about about. What is it about? So we have this this city or this town or whatever they've they've basically turned everything into plastic or paved artificial. Over it. Yeah, everything is artificial, and they've been trained to like it and or not think outside the box. But there's a girl who says, "Hey, look." This is a picture of a tree, and they get all like, they get all excited about this. What is this thing they call a tree that lives and grows and is not plastic? 
So he ends up going on this little adventure, meets this, you know, this short, you know, little monster who has the voice of Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito. And it's just, fabulous. All right. And it's I just, just think of little Phil. Oh, boy. I know. I think orange Phil. Oh, boy. <laughs> I do. I think a lot of Hercules in that moment. So he just talks about how these trees, you know, they, they used to be there, but then they cut them all down and, and build up a town that didn't need anything that would grow or that would die. And so, but then the, the kid is on a quest at this point in time to raise so that everybody can know about that. You know what? We have trees. We can plant them. We can be real. And so I don't know. It's just, like I said, I understand. I like the concept i like trees i do Do you i do (laughs) but i don't want them to be spoon feeding me this moral for an hour and a half you know so we'll see yeah Yeah, you probably don't need to see the movie if you already love (laughs) this is well we'll see when it comes out we'll give our reviews on it yeah what were you saying sounds fascinating yeah Hey, at least this is one that like you can read the book beforehand, and it's not that That's big. True. It's not that big of a task. It'll yeah. <laughs> take ten minutes. <laughs> Unless you overanalyze anything, in which yeah. case Doctor Seuss can be very deep. Yeah, uh. we'll hold that off for the college courses. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Okay. So next one, I'm gonna do these two together. Madagascar Three: Europe's Most Wanted by DreamWorks. So there's that, and there's also Ice Age: Continental Drift. Now is that three or four for them? Uh, that'll be four for Ice Age. Okay, four for Ice Age, three for Madagascar. So, what do you think for the three and the four quills? Four quills. We're now we're now at four quills in this beautiful age we live in. Land of um, it's like the Land Before Time series. No, <laughs> no, there can only be one Land Before. Actually, there are twenty-seven Land Before Times, but there can only be one Land Before Time franchise. Well, listen, Madagascar One was such low quality, but I think people liked it because it was so slapstick and so over the top. Um, you could compare it to Emperor's New Groove and ridiculous humor, except Disney's better. Um, I was entertained by Madagascar Two. You had already established, you know, what the characters are all about, and you put them into crazy situations. One of Bernie Mac's last film, last films, heaven bless him. Um, I don't know. Probably not going to see it. Uh, Madagascar Three. Probably not going to see it unless. No, I'm not going to. Probably not going to see it. Wow. <laughs> Ice Age Continental Drift. Um, I am a huge, I'm a big fan of the Ice Age movies. I like the first one the best. You know, you started with Ice Age, and there was that conflict, but then the, the rest of the movies were just all about these geologic influences or catastrophes that affect prehistoric life. You know, you had the meltdown <laughs> in when you had the dinosaurs emerging in the third one, and we have Continental Drift. So introducing the kids to you know, the exciting world of plate tech as it applies to the Ice Age universe. <laughs> uh, I hate to be cynical, but, like, what's next? Next summer, it's going to be Ice Age. We all evolved. The end, you know? <laughs> no more catastrophes can affect us, so it's evolved into mammals. Yeah. The end, kids. Go home. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I read a book on the life of Walt Disney, and it talked about there was this one time where one of the biggest hits that they had was The Three Little Pigs. And everyone just loved this song that was there. It was just, you know, it was the very first song that Disney put out as far as their music selection because it was such a hit in this movie. Then everybody was just like, they want more pigs. You know, everybody wants to hear more about these pigs. And, and then, <laughs> like, you got Roy Disney was like, give them the pigs. They, they, they want it, you know. And Walsh well, is like, you can't beat pigs with pigs. <laughs> Like, pigs will give them pigs. Back in the pig. <laughs> I can't beat pigs with pigs. I, I've been a, and I've always taken that to heart because you, you just can't beat 
something with the same thing. So, you know, I think the only multiple movies that I actually really thought were better and better each time were part of the Toy Stories. But everything else is just kind of like you can't beat pigs with pigs. Like, they just keep trying to reinvent the same thing Mm -hmm. over and over and over. And like you you said, it's like how many things can we throw at these kids, you know, to be able to (laughs) to let's learn and grow together, you know. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not much of a fan, but... You never know. I might end up seeing them in my house on DVD, you know, because my, you, you will. my sister will end up <laughs> buying it and I'll end up getting, you know, having it around. So you never know. Okay. So the next one is by Armin Animation. It's called Pirates Bands of Misfits. And that's the company that they do the claymation. Uh, they did Chicken Run, uh, Flushed Away, Wallace and Gromit, all those really good films. Very good. Yes, very good. Anyway, so this one's coming out probably next few months, and actually it's probably the one that's more newsworthy right now. Um, There's kind of some drama with their trailer. So in it, in the trailer, there's a scene that where the captain is demanding gold from this captured ship. Only, you know, then one of the crew members says, oh, well, you know, this is a leper boat. They shoot to all the, the crew members and, you know, one's arm falls off. It's kind of kind of funny. Anyways, there's a bunch of leprosy groups that are now kind of protesting it because it's discriminating against those who suffer from leprosy. So, and then Armin, of course, agreed to take the scene out. And I'm kind of disappointed in this because it just seems like so many things are politically correct nowadays that soon we won't be able to do anything because we're going to offend someone. I mean, what are your thoughts? Like, I don't want to get too political, but... I want to know, how big is the leprosy colonies now? Well, does it matter with the mean, size of it? I, I know. I'm sure there's some Facebook groups. You can see how many <laughs> subscribe to this. I didn't realize that it was such a big thing still. Uh, agreed. I don't know. I just I thought it was just kind of ridiculous in a way. Like, I understand why, and maybe the way they put it maybe was offensive. But that's comedy, I feel. Yeah, yeah I it, mean... To me, it's comedy. It just I mean, reminds me, I heard this story of this high school that they, you know, the kids, they got together, um, they got to pick their new mascot name. And so everyone voted, and the name they picked was uh, the Cougars. And the school board turned it down because they said it would be offensive to a certain group of women, old women who live a certain lifestyle. Oh, AKA Cougars. And they couldn't name their school the Cougars because it might offend, like, legitimate oh Cougars. And I just think it's hilarious. I kind of, I don't know. I think sometimes we take things too seriously. Uh, I want to be the cougars anyway. <laughs> yeah, anyways. Okay, so next one is Brave. I think this is one of the more anticipated ones because, any, at least for me, anything Pixar comes out with, it's fantastic. It's high quality. Seriously. Great story. You know, they, they believe in not putting a story out unless it's a great story behind it and really developed. So I I personally call this the Scottish Mulan. From- Scottish Mulan. It is. Okay. So what are you guys? She's got the horse. She's got the you know <laughs> the fate of like being able to wield a sword of some kind. You know that's pretty sweet. So what do you guys think about it? Excited? Oh, I'm I'm so excited. If you had the chance to change your fate, would you? Nah. Nah. That's why they're not oh. making a movie about us. <laughs> so great. I I um I was uh, taking a 3D graphics course. It was everything 3D animation besides animation uh, back in the spring, and uh, my professor was so excited about it. He showed us some stills from it. The animation is is going to be top notch, as Pixar always is. You know the fluidity, the the quality of it. Pay attention to the textures of the movie. It's something that Pixar's never attempted before. You know, Pixar has this 
kind of way that they depict humans. You know, it's kind of the, the Incredibles, mm-hmm. you know, their universe, their, their human beings that they modeled and textured. And uh, you go on to Andy and then Andy's mom that she saw in Toy Story 3. Uh, lots of human interaction in that movie. So you kind of see this pattern with Pixar movies. This is something completely different. The texturing and the, the blending of the colors is so soft and so it's so fantasy-like that I'm just so excited for this. And I'm sure the story is going to be amazing, as always. Yeah. Once again, my animation standpoint, I'm super excited for it. It's going to be a, a different but fresh film for Pixar, I believe. Yeah, I really like that what Pixar does is they knew the limits of the technology and they worked with it. Mm-hmm. You know, Toy Story, you can't do humans. Yeah. Let's keep them in the background. Yeah, but we can do plastic yeah. really well and it looks great, you know. And so then they kind of move on and they did kind of bugs, you know, and then kind of moved to water and fish and that world. And then Incredibles, they dabbled with humans and, you know, so on and so forth. So I think now they're kind of ready to, you know, give the human uh, computer graphics like a real chance, like a Pixar version Mm -hmm. of what human should be so i'm excited for it how could you not be especially after cars 2 i mean maybe they're holding on holding out for this one (laughs) so okay and you know there's just something good about it about a ginger (laughs) that's gonna be taking fight and you know heading out i love it okay now now a ginger group is going to be offended with us for saying ginger (laughs) i mean go it it out (laughs) okay so the next i'll just go to the next one (laughs) paranorman by Focus Features, Hotel Transylvania by Sony Animation, and Wreck-It Ralph by Walt Disney Animation. So, any thoughts on those? I don't know too much about them. They're kind of later in the year, so a lot of stills and and um, trailers haven't been put out yet. But... You know, I, I saw the trailer for Paranorman. Uh, it it looks good. It's uh, right along the lines of, you know, Corpse Bride and, and uh, Nightmare Before Christmas in terms of its darkness. Definitely creepy. I mean, you got this little kid who from what the, I saw in the trailer, I'm pretty sure he can communicate with the dead. And, you know, he runs around with zombies. And But it's got that kind of, that vibe where it's just, you know, it's it's fun scary. You know, like the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland and the Magic Kingdom. You know, it's, they're ghouls and zombies and skeletons, but it's it's all in good fun. So I think it's going to be that type of movie. The the songs they played during the trailer was really interesting. Or I think it's going to be cool. I'll probably go see it. Looks like a good, fun, scary movie. Cool. And the next last one is Rise of the Guardians. That's by DreamWorks. Um, Rise of the Guardians, essentially, and is about... It's not about those gahool owls again, is it? No. <laughs> I didn't see that movie, but it, wasn't that what that one was called? Rise of the Guardians? Or the Guardians of... Legend of the Guardians. Oh, okay. Gotcha. See, there's a rise, there's a legend. It's, there's an there order. There will be a fall. <gasps> <laughs> but Rise of the Guardians, this is sort of... Um, Kind of about all the mythical creatures of the holidays. So it's about Santa. Right. It's about the Easter Bunny. It's about, uh, I guess, all of those and conflict that arises between those. So Conflict like Santa Claus versus the Easter Bunny? I don't know. I, I've kind of forgotten yeah. what it's about, but I know they're all involved. So it kind of, to me, is like, oh, this is one of those movies that, you know how Harry Potter has, like, one scene about Christmas in it. Right. And then the ABC family, like, they play it as their 25 days of Christmas every year because it's, like, oh, Oh, it's a Christmas movie. You know? And there's, like, Halloween movies like Hocus Pocus that always gets airtime. Like, I think this one will be one of those, you know, because, like, oh, we got Easter, we got Cupid. Just throw it in there whatever time of the year. Every holiday, like, all, you know, this will just get, like, massive airtime. But I'm kidding, but we'll see. I don't know. I think it'll be a good year for animation, so I'm excited. This will be a good year. I think so, too. So what, okay, overall thoughts, it's going to be good, better than 2011? A couple of unwanted sequels in there. Boy, we really ripped apart those three 
or cult. <laughs> but uh, it, it looks like there's something for everyone here. A lot of original films, and uh, yeah, it, it's looking good for animation. I'm excited. Cool. I am too. Okay, now we're going to go on to our main discussion, which is Beauty and the Beast. So every every episode, we're going to cover a movie, you know, whether this is one that's just been released or one that's been released in the past, and we're going to review it, we're going to talk about it, dissect it, talk, you know, everything about it. So these are going to be everything from Disney to Don Bluth to DreamWorks. So yeah, so our first one's going to be Beauty and the Beast, solely because that just came out a few weeks ago in the 3D re-release. 3D, which was very awesome. So Chelsea and I saw it in 3D. I don't, Mason, you didn't. I didn't, unfortunately. I plan on it though. That's okay. Um, but you have seen Beauty and the Beast. Uh, yes, I have. (laughs) 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 We might have to kick you. We might have to kick you off the podcast. (laughs) Okay, so just some facts about Beauty and the Beast. So it was released November twenty second, nineteen ninety one. Way back twenty years ago. It was directed by Gary Trustell and Kirk Wise. It was three years old. And music was by Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, so those definitely are the go-to Disney guys. Total, domestically in the U.S., it grossed $145 million. And then worldwide, including all the re-releases, um, it's at $410 million. Nearly, probably 411 or more, since it's kind of a running total. Um, this was Disney's 30th animated feature. So kind of to put it into perspective, Tangled and Winnie the Pooh. Tangled was 50th and Winnie the Pooh was the 51st. Kind of a little bit past the midway point. And so this was part of the Disney renaissance. I think Little Mermaid definitely kicked that off and kind of brought back, you know, freshness in Disney animation, excitement, revamped the whole animation department. Um, So, yeah, we'll talk about what was nominated for a little bit later. Although it is important to note that it was the first animated film ever to be nominated for Best Picture. So normally that never had happened, and I think it should have won. It lost to Silence of the Lambs. Which, oh, boy. Yeah, I'm not so much a fan, but oh, I know a, a, lot of, a lot of people are. But that really shows a lot for this film for it to get noticed by the Academy, because I think there is kind of a bias towards animated films. You know, they're for kids. Right. You know, it's not good enough quality-wise to be put up there. So The acting... These thespians don't have their way of, <laughs> of, you know, showing off. So, you know. Lots of times Beauty and the Beast have been tried to be made by Walt Disney himself. You know, 1930s through the 50s. They kept trying to make it, but the screenwriters and, you know, the story department, it was kind of shelved because they could never figure out how to get the story to work for animation. So I'm kind of glad they did because I, I love the, the movies that Walt was involved in, but I can't imagine any other version of Beauty yeah. and the Beast. It was just amazing. I mean, I guess there are other versions out there. <laughs> oh, there are. Just look at Netflix. <laughs> yeah. So, actually, I tried to watch one of those, like, horrible... Never mind. It was just so well done. <laughs> don't, and we... don't call them horrible. Talk, call them underdeveloped. Yes. There you go. Yes. Minimal budget. Okay. So, let's just go talk about whatever. We'll kind of do a free-for-all discussion. So, what are your original thoughts? Like, when you first saw the movie, what did you think about it? I can't remember my overall thoughts when I first saw it. I do remember freaking out as a kid when I saw the Beast uh, come in on Maurice in the castle for the first time, you know. Freaking out in a good way or bad way? Oh, bad way, man. He was (laughs) scary. He's all draped in shadow and his teeth were gleaming and he was like, so you want to stare at the Beast, do you? And I'm like, no, I don't want to stare at him. (laughs) And uh, and, Um. Maurice's reaction and, and the music, man, it just... 
gave you this first impression of the beast, which I think is what they wanted, you know? Of course, that's how that character saw himself at the beginning, and it was very effective. Um, I remember Gaston being such a jerk. Um, (laughs) Awesome jerk. (laughs) He's an awesome jerk, but man, he's a jerk. And, uh... I liked it. I, I liked. Uh, I remember liking laughing at the banter between uh, Cogsworth and Lumiere. Uh, you know your 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 comic relief uh, character and uh, an overall magical movie that was was thrilling. At the same time, you know, you know, great Disney movie, heartwarming moment. For sure, I had about the same reaction. I remember that was one of the very first movies that I remember seeing in the- theaters. And I just remember that part where he first, like, comes in and, like, his cape, like, goes across the screen. Like, when Maurice is walking in, I would freak out and I, like, turn and, like, hide my face. I'm like, no, he's going to kill me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's classic, classic monster footage in a movie. You don't, you don't see him all at once. And, yeah. And like, there he is. Very effective. You know, as a five-year-old, that's like, you know, ah, run away. <laughs> but I remember it being, ended up being one of my absolute favorite movies. Mm-hmm. There you go. What about you, Morgan? I love Beauty and the Beast. It's not my favorite. I think, you know, when you ask people, what are your favorite Disney movies? I think a lot of people, it's Beauty and the Beast or Little Mermaid. And overwhelmingly, a lot of people, Beauty and the Beast. I love it, but I definitely think it's one of my top, you know, top ten, top five. Um, and Aladdin is, is my personal favorite, which we'll get to one of these days. Um, but this, this movie really can do no wrong. Everything about it, the music... I mean, you still quote and sing the music. I am a fan. I saw it in 3D, so I guess that's not my original thoughts, but having seen it in 3D was a different experience because I noticed a lot of things that I hadn't noticed before. I don't know if it was the 3D or the fact that it was on the big screen, but I I just noticed a lot more things in the background, a lot more of the layouts, background characters. I, I thought it was fabulous. I really like the 3D, both for Lion King and for Beauty and the Beast. The 3D for traditionally animated movies, at least the way that they do it, comes off to me like the multiplane camera. The multiplane camera was where they had this camera, so it was vertically pointing down. And then they had all these layers of, you know, grass in the front, trees in the background, then main characters, then mountains in the background. So kind of gave this all this dimension. Yeah. I know Sleeping Beauty was done with that. A lot of Disney invented it, so he used it all that he could. And I feel 3D kind of feels multiplane to me. Like, I feel, you know, especially that opening scene where they show the castle in the background and the music starts playing. Right, right. You know, you see the grass, and then suddenly, you know, the next thing that pops out is that deer that's right there. Mm, that I and, never saw yeah, before. Yeah, never. <laughs> and then there's the rosebush, like, very in the front, and just, they feel very defined, uh, each layer. Not that they kind of blend into one, but here's this layer, a few steps back is that layer, mm-hmm. this castle, whatever. So I like it a lot because it gives me kind of that old school multiplane yeah. vibe. I think I liked it because it reminded me of, of those old ways. Yeah, definitely. The multiplane camera, yeah, you see it right at the beginning and it makes for makes for good 3D. Mm-hmm. Cool. So what makes this movie, maybe we've already discussed this, what makes this movie so memorable or classic? It's the Beast. To me, it's the Beast. Uh, he's such a well-done character. I, I've been watching some clips, uh, uh, you know, be, you know, getting ready for this this pilot episode. Man, what a what a character! Uh, like we like we discussed, he's frightening at first. It's he's scary to look at. He used a variety of, of you know the parts of animals to create his his look. And so, what you're looking at at first, and you're you know, you're frightened of horse, and that's how everybody reacts to the beast. 
but at the same time, you know, in in classic Disney magic, see that he he is, you know, he's a man. He's a man who's trying to who's fallen in love, and he's trying to get Belle to fall in love with him. You know, for the curse's sake, <laughs> get someone to fall in love with him, and so you get you get to see this journey of the his his struggle, his insecurity, his awkwardness. You know, he tries to come to dinner with him, and <laughs> his reaction to her reaction, and it's just it's it's funny. <laughs> I know what it's like to get turned down from a date, you know? <laughs> and you're like, what? Not you. Really okay, it differently. Or maybe if I, you know, act like more of a gentleman, you know? No, thank you. And then you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and you really, you really see this, this vulnerable side of the beast as he falls in love. Panny, it's such a great character. You know, the voice, it was, it was melded with, uh, you know, cat, you know, wild cats growling and, and, you know, jackals barking, I don't know, but it, it disguised his voice, it made him beastly, but at the same time you see this warm, tender side. Uh, it made the character both imaginative, you know, Disney-wise, but also close to us on a personal level, at least to us guys, you know, who have gone through gone through those struggles. <laughs> Not that I have, like, a curse and I'm trying to get someone to fall in love with me, but <laughs> Maybe at the do. same time, you know, there's an urgency for all of us, you know, all of us guys and, and girls, you know, to be with someone, and overall is a very great character of the Beast. Yeah, for me, I think the music obviously was the most, definitely the most um, memorable for me. My background, obviously, in music, and so it's been something that I have just heard over and over and over in my life. Beauty and the Beast was actually received a lot of Oscar nominations for all of its music, including Best Picture, well, we know Best Picture, but Best Original Score and Best Sound. It was nominated three times for its song, uh, Beauty and the Beast. It ended up winning two of them, which was Best Original Score and Best Original Song for the Beauty and the Beast song. You know, those songs are just so done. Everybody knows them because they're just so incredibly well-written. I remember my brother and I, we did this, a it was like a summer musical production, and where they would like take different songs from different, movies or different plays and then we would all like just play and do a reenactment of these parts and i remember they ended up doing the the one song where they're going through where there goes the baker with this tray like always the same old bread and rolls to sell and so they did that song and we're all going and singing along and i remember my part was like i got to go out in front and i was just like I need six eggs. <laughs> and my brother, that's too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> the baguettes, hurry up. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it just, that was some a uh, huge memory for me to be able to do that. But it, it was also, it goes to show you the amazing writing that was written into all these songs. Howard Ashman is probably one of my absolute favorite lyricists. Just the way he, like, he wrote things was just awesome. A lot of alliteration, a lot of just very punny type words mm-hmm. that he used. And it was just, we saw that in a little mermaid and again here in beating the beast, which really made added that extra level of entertainment. Yeah. I like the, okay. This movie's obviously called beauty and the beast. And you know, Mason talked a lot about how the beast is actually a focal point for this. And I think Belle is too. A lot of girls really look up to Belle and they kind of see themselves in her, you know, she's brown hair, brown eyes, you know, she's not the, the blonde, you know, babes who are, you know, going after Gaston, which I think a lot of girls kind of see, I have to to look like that. I have to be like that. And so it was kind of refreshing that Belle was all around normal and, Mm -hmm. you know, 
completely grounded, and yet people still thought her as kind of a, a whack job or kind of weird. More her dad wacky, <laughs> but just something was odd about her. And so, I, I don't know, it really kind of is one of those characters that you see yourself in, you kind of portray yourself onto Belle. As a girl, I don't know about you, Mason, but <laughs> as a girl, you kind of... a beast than a bell. <laughs> more of a beast. Okay, well, I'm good. glad about that. <laughs> so, to me, there's kind of that balance between it's about bell, it's about beast, and then the music all ties it together, mm-hmm. you know, with a little bow on top. Favorite songs. What songs stand out to you? Chelsea kind of talked about them, but what's important about the songs here that make it so different? Man, well, the, the broad range of amazing songs this movie is is considerable you know you've got be our guest you have the tales old as time beauty and the beast song which is magical it's, it's gentle you know it's beautiful the song where bell and the beast are kind of going through their kind of dating period you know where they're like <laughs> realizing that they like each other you know there must be something there that wasn't there before it's good it's a good duet you know you get to it's always fun when you get all the characters singing one song that always stood out to me maybe because i'm a guy I don't know, is I love the the mob song, I think it's called. You know, it's the... Me too. Gaston is rallying the villagers to to go after the beast. And, of course, it's all about his um, motive of revenge on the beast for being close to Belle. And I love Disney villain songs. Am I right? Mm Mm-hmm. Are they not just... No, they're so good. They're very needed. (laughs) Yeah, you've got Scar, you've got Ursula, you've got... uh, Jafar. Yeah, Jafar. And it's just, uh, oh, it's so fun. They draw you into the minds of the villain in this fun Disney way. Um, you get to see their funny side. You know, Ursula, she's she's sassy. She's outrageous. Scar, he's he's got this notion of, of grandeur. Uh, you know, Gun- Governor Radcliffe, you know, he's, he's this, got the pomp and he's got the, you know, he's got the, the dom- you know, he's going for this domination, this cultivation of this new world. Um, Gaston goes from the oafish suitor to this really sinister guy in the second act of the film and kill the beast, you know, shows off. Well, the message, you know, the, the big pounding line that you hear over and over is kill the beast, you know, um, definitely builds tension before the film's uh, fantastic climax and just the beat of it. It's just, it's just catchy to me. You know, it's foreboding. It's, it's a, uh, you know, something big is going to happen. You almost don't need the thunder and lightning, you know, afterwards to like cue that someone's going to go down at the end of this. Something's going down. Well, you know what's interesting about Gaston is he actually kind of has three singing moments. Mm -hmm. You know, the very beginning in Belle's song, where he's talking about one day he'll marry Belle and she's the girl he picks. That Um, is true. And then there's, you know, the song, you know, titled Gaston, Mm -hmm. and it's about him. Uh, He sings in that, and it's LeFou mostly, and saying how everyone will want to be you, you're the best guy in town. And then, you know, ultimately for the mob song. So it's kind of interesting. He has quite a range mm-hmm. in this. Yeah, and, and you see that a lot in Disney films. The the villain, you know, you get to see their personal side, which is usually you know comical, and then towards the end, you see that they're they're completely sinister and 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 crazy evil. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I like I like Gaston for who he is and for how pompous he is and kind of. You know, like, he has a lot going for him. <laughs> he's all, you know, like, very talented, and he's Obviously. a great wrestler. He's Obviously. chest hair. And you know, all those eggs he used to eat as a kid. I now he's know. the size of I a mean, barge. You know, he kind of, like, you know, is that guy who always has everything going for him. You know, the girls are fawning on him and right. love him. Then, even through that, there's there's flaws that he has. Well, and he's got there became, big... you know, they're, they're noticeable from the very beginning, but... For some reason, I still like him because of those. Yeah. Like, a lot. Like, I, I hate Gaston 
but not really. Like, I really like Gaston. He's a you great villain. It's true. And he's got this big conflict because he wants this one girl. It's like, it's the only girl in town that doesn't want him. And so <laughs> yeah. he's attracted to that because he's this, you know, he-man dominating character. Well, he's a hunter. It's all about it's all about getting the prize and like putting it up on your wall. So I I guess there's kind of that (laughs) that analogy there, where you know he has the bear rug, he has the moose, he has this. He probably has like really rare things on his wall, and he could get those three girls if he really wanted to. I think they made the bimbets. (laughs) What? (laughs) I think that's what they're called, but they're like babettes. It's something funny like that. Babettes. But they he can have them, and he probably has be honest. <laughs> hey, it's Disney. Well, it's like a, whatever, whatever. Not all pink flowers. And, but, you know, there's that bell, you know, like the prize, the gorgeous rare flower that he can't have, and so that's kind of the lure in her. But there then she go. doesn't want him. So, so, quick fun fact with uh, the prizes that Gaston uh, hunts. Uh, during his uh, Gaston song, uh, when he goes on about his expectorating and he, and he spits, if you look on the wall, there is what appears to be a frog's head, and as part of his many trophies. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I, I, I saw this on internet movie database, and I want to check it out for myself. Uh, so yet to be confirmed, but uh, something to look out for in the future. A frog face of what? Like a frog head mounted on the wall as a trophy. Oh, <laughs> those are hard. To, maybe that was one of his first finds when he was like seven. <laughs> yeah, we're seven months old. I mean, he began from there. <laughs> back when he was only, uh, what was it, four dozen eggs and not five dozen eggs. <laughs> okay, yes, I was right. We just looked on Wikipedia. The triplets are also known as the bimbets or the babets. Oh, my so, God. Totally, I was right with both of them. See, those were the good old days. You notice that a group of bimbos didn't protest the movie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Do you know that they would like be drawing more attention to themselves as bimbo? Like I know that I'm a bimbo, and yeah, you're making true. fun of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's you, not a group that doesn't rally right. together too often. You know, you didn't have the NRA going up and be like, "That is an inaccurate portrayal of huntsmen in that movie." Right, right. <laughs> uh, okay, so back to songs. Does anyone remember the song "Human" again? It was in the, I think it was in the play. They kind of put it into a later version. Didn't make it into the original movie. Your thoughts? I remember... Okay, so... I think Human okay, Human Again is okay. Like you mentioned, they put it in the DVD for... I don't... One of the anniversary re-releases. I think it's when they were on their Platinum series of, of re-releases. So it was the Platinum mm. edition. And so it was in the play. And the play was released... Or the Broadway musical was released probably, what? Two or three years after Beauty and the Beast. I think 94. And obviously got a lot of reception. So when they re-released it, they reanimated, not reanimated, they animated the scene and then shoved it in the film. Shoved, that's a good Like, this really bothered me at the time because you'd watch this DVD and you couldn't watch, watch the original version without Human Again. Like, the only way to watch this was with the Human Again part added. Um, Yeah, something smells of George Lucas in there. Yeah, he just kind of, like, does whatever he wants. He had something to do with this. I just know it. (laughs) Hey, maybe he's a Disney fan. So I personally would have liked it if they had two versions of that. They didn't kind of like force it down your throats because the animation was so jarring and different. I mean, even the characters, even though they were voiced by the same by the same actors, like they just kind of had a different. The purpose of these, you know, minor characters wasn't to be in the spotlight and wasn't. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I felt like the portrayal of them changed a bit. 
Right, and, and I, I know they're longing to go from inanimate kitchenware to, uh, well, not not so inanimate, but, you know, from kitchenware to real people, but it wasn't a huge plot point. It was just kind of a, you know, a effect of the curse. Yeah, and the animation in that, like, really bothered me because it was clearly technology had improved. It wasn't the same animators who did it. So with 2D animation, I feel it's kind of easy to see who animated what scene, like, if you're really paying attention. And it just, it didn't meld well together. It didn't flow. It just kind of was like, oh, here's that scene. All right, back to the, the real movie. Yeah, the way, the way I see it, it's like, there's a reason they cut that out. <laughs> I, Very well said. There's just a reason that they did that. So why are we trying, like, why do they force us to look at what they already cut out in the first place? Yeah, agreed. <laughs> you know, but I did, I love the play. I I was kind of young when I saw the play originally. But I still remembered it really, really well. And when I lived in New York for a summer, I remember seeing signs everywhere because it had been on Broadway for many, many years. I think ever since 94. And because it had made a lot of money there because it's such a wonderful family thing. Everyone was able to go see it. I never really had the desire to go see it at that time just because I felt like I already saw it. So I was like, oh, cool. It's great. Love it. But then I remember... I remember seeing when they were going to be putting up the new Little Mermaid broad- on Broadway. And so they were closing it down. And I was like, oh, that's sad. You know, finally they're closing this down, you know, that has been on Broadway for so long. And, but yet I still didn't, like, feel that need to go see it. I was like, oh, well, you know, We'll see it on tour. <laughs> yeah, we'll see it on tour when it comes back, you know. But then when I got home, I was so upset, like, so upset. Because I looked back and I saw that... For a few months, the very end of the run that it had on Broadway, they had Donny Osmond playing Gaston. And I was like, Whoa. He was a fabulous Gaston. I know. I was like, You have to. Oh, I was so mad. He sang Shang. I know. In Mulan. It's like Donny Osmond. And I realized that he wasn't going to sing any of his other hits, you know. There's no puppy love in this one. (laughs) (laughs) But. You know, it was like Gaston as Donny Osmond. That's just classy. And I was I was really sad that I wasn't able to go see that. But, you know. Well, I actually, I saw Donny Osmond in concert a few months ago. Uh-huh. And I only wanted to go because I wanted to hear him sing I'll Make a Man Out of You. That's the only <laughs> thing know. I wanted to hear. I didn't, I didn't really know his other songs. Like, I knew Joseph's Amazing College Radio. <laughs> I wasn't around in the 60s when he was, you know, the 60s version of Bieber. So, but, oh. so I was like, okay, I know he was in Beauty and the Beast. Let's, I doubt, I don't know if he'll sing Gaston's song or one of those because they're not so widely known um, or like appealing in a concert setting with 60 year olds. Yeah, I don't think they're going <laughs> to yeah, kill the beast. <laughs> <laughs> they throw the pitchfork to him on stage. Um, no, but he did sing. He sang "Ice." I'll make a man out of you, and I was the only person standing up and cheering during that whole time. And he sang. Are you kidding me? No, I'm dead serious. Like I, I was too far back; he couldn't see me, but I was like fangirling out. And he sang "Beauty and the Beast," like a really lovely rendition of "Tale as Old as Time." But he's got an amazing oh, voice. Yeah. So that was good, and that was good, that was appealing to me. But anyways, that's our Donny Osmond "Beauty and the Beast" tie-in. Oh uh, yeah. So, okay, so any thoughts on animation? I mean, now that we have our animation major here, you definitely can talk uh, away. animation yeah. It just goes back to, um, you know, the 2D aspect. It's got beautiful layouts. The backgrounds and everything are so detailed. 
get a broad range of kind of animation. I really like the intro where you see the stained glass windows that portray the, the introduction to the fairy tale. There's actually a scene that they made that they animated into an actual movie in the, the sequel, uh, Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas. You, you see that, but there's just something so, you know, so mysterious and so uh, appealing about the stained glass uh, sequence. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, you have, Which, of course, can I just uh, say, go for it. This is unrelated to animation. But hmm. what was the witch's deal, or the sorceress, or the whoever she was? You know, was I was watching. Purpose? I was watching the intro today, and I was like, you know, how come you never see more of the enchantress? Why doesn't she come back like, in the end and say, you know, you have passed the test? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and like turn it into a crystal rose that he can, you know, watch forever. Well, I don't know. Just like, what was her gripe? Like that she had with him. Just like, oh, she, I, he's a bad guy. I put it upon myself to teach him a lesson. <laughs> I am. So Maybe there's policing. some sort of, like, guild of enchantresses and fairies that are, like, sent out. They have some sort of information network. You know, they yeah. probably take your personal information from your computer and and determine if you are ready for a life-changing test or not. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's another conundrum that I have. He's the prince, right? Right. He... <laughs> yes. Did he... Yes, he is. I mean, obviously, he had subjects and people that he was prince over. You know, what did they just like forget about him? Like the townsfolk was that part of the enchantment? I, maybe, yeah, part of the enchantment was that it just kind of passed on to legend, or, or I don't know. Um, yeah, no, no explanation there. I, I got nothing. Oh, okay, yeah, because uh, you know, obviously, it's not enchanted so much like Hogwarts, where if a muggle comes by it, you you can't. It just says, "Oh, this is a." Scary old building. Please go away. And then the muggle says, "Okay," and they wander away. You know, but this, yeah, you know, Maurice and Belle, they can just walk up and they see the castle. They can enter. I mean, obviously, you you have to have women enter the castle if you want them to fall in love with him. All right. But I don't know. I just always I bothered me that what happened to his people? Did they worry about their beloved prince? But maybe he was so revolting that he passed on to oblivion. Or maybe his castle is so large that just everyone worked there. <laughs> I mean, you look at the last scene, there's a whole bunch of people there. No, you look at um, Be Our Guest and think of all the forks. Oh, I know. All the plates. All the silverware had to turn back into people. <laughs> Yikes. We're talking to staff of 500 minimum, folks. Yeah, for the one was guy. high rolling prince. <laughs> Okay, and then I have this is another legitimate question. Sorry, we'll go back to the other discussion about animation. Um, no, this is go for it. What? Okay, so I I should have looked this up beforehand, but maybe you guys will know. Was his sentence that he had to be a beast for twenty one years, or until he turned twenty one? Kind of like a Davy Jones type of thing. Yeah, he had the yeah. Sentence of his transformation. Well, because in the thing it says, you know, if he didn't find true love before his twenty first year. I mean, he didn't look too young in that yeah, stained like, glass window, but maybe they did a great job of... Or no, like, even the picture of him in, in his room. Oh, yeah. It was like, it's the same guy. Like, it, he hasn't aged at all. Like, did he just look, like, super old at, at puberty? Like, really young? I guess. Yeah, like, I don't know. But, oh, my goodness. I never thought about that before. <laughs> You know, this is kind of ruining my Beauty and the Beast experience that I've had, Wait, you know, over the years. We've got to it. That's what rotoscoping are. That is. We must, we must rotoscope. <laughs> wow, I never thought of it that way. You know, maybe, uh, I don't know. The whole Disney thing, you know, characters don't age that yeah. much, you know. Yeah, and it says it's like 10 years we've been rusting, needing so much more than dusting. Well, and well, Chip is still a kid. Yeah. So maybe, you know what it was? It, maybe it was for 21 years he had to be a 
you know, he had 21 years to do this. Otherwise, it, he would stay a beast forever. But he, everyone was essentially frozen in time. Yeah, but then and why they would... They didn't age, they didn't grow up, and then when they really turned back, they, they were back where they were. But why would the rose be wilting after just 10 years? That's like a defective it, rose. Maybe there was no a idea. time vortex. Maybe there was a time vortex floating in the glass. Of, <laughs> or am Every I getting too Every time you take the here? glass off, it like takes ten years off. <laughs> That's why he gets so mad when she lifts it up. Too. Like, well, the time done? vortex. No. <laughs> Bell, you don't touch the time vortex. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. I can see the, the beast as this, like, nerd guy. No, the time vortex! No! He's <laughs> a spoiled, rotten computer nerd. <laughs> I always knew he looked better Shrek-y. as a beast. Anyway. But, yeah, okay, so there's some definite continuity holes <laughs> oh. that we've been dissecting, you know, that we've been yanking out of this. Yeah, one this, thing, like, I have a question. <laughs> Why We're did, still on connections. Yeah, I'm sorry. This is my conundrum. Why in the world did he say... The quote is, she's like, you can go anywhere you want into the castle except the West Wing. Well, what's, what's in, in the, the West? The, it's forbidden. You know, it's like, why didn't he just say, that's my room? <laughs> <laughs> All my stuff is in there. It's embarrassing. It's true. It is quite a mess. It is. For me... Uh, that would, that would just be like, all right, that's your <laughs> that's your room. I got it. That's your spot. <laughs> I will let spot. you. Yeah, he made it so like so mysterious. Like it's forbidden. She's like it's forbidden. Oh, it's Don't go in there because it's forbidden. But it's right there in the west side of the castle. You know, west wing. But it's forbidden. You can't go there. Right. An elephant graveyard is no. You know. Exactly. <laughs> Here, I've said too much. <laughs> but I think also that would have taken away, like, a good plot part of the story. So, I, yeah, whatever, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, you have to write it in for the story, whatever. Yeah, they had, they had to move it along, you know. <laughs> well. But it was good. Okay, back to animation. That was a really random jump. <laughs> yeah, this is what we do. We are the queens of tangents. I know, it's great. So, well, we get back to what we were talking about, but tangents, they happen, so. Just Sorry, Mason. Carry on. And oh, that's fine. I, I, you know, I studied geometry, so I know a little bit about tangents. So, yeah. <laughs> Good. I'm glad that all of this is finally coming into use into your life. Oh yeah, it's all coming together. <laughs> uh, back to the animation. Like, well, the, you know, besides the layouts and the expressive animation, I mean, it's just all in all, it's just a beautiful movie. Technical, technical wise, I, I really don't have much to say about the movie. I, I do have a professor at BYU who did some animation on on Beauty and the Beast. She's done some other films, so hopefully in later episodes I'll be able to interview her and we'll get to hear some insights from her. So looking forward to that. But uh, for now, besides um, what I've noticed, uh, you know, with the, the detail and the artwork and, and the expressiveness in the animation, uh, yeah, it's pretty much it for me. Uh, one thing, I just noticed that I don't know if I noticed it this time, but I noticed a lot in, t- in 2D animation is that the way that the animators are set up, there's the lead animator or the supervising animator, and then he has his team. Um, and so the key, the lead animator does the keyframes, the really important ones, usually the facial shots or the ones that are a bit more complex. And those ones look fabulous. And then, you know, every, everyone else kind of gets delegated the, you know, bells in the background so you can do it when she's over there. And it was just interesting for me to watch this. And you could definitely tell, like, who animated what. 
the main animator for Belle was James Baxter, and then the lead animator for, for The Beast was Glenn Keane. And he is just, you know, an animation god to everybody, and he's fabulous. And he did Tarzan and James Baxter. He was partly on Ariel. And so it was just interesting to me because I could, I just, from frame to frame and scene to scene, you could just tell, like, oh, the good animator did this, and someone else did this, and someone else. It was just kind of interesting to me. It kind of, like, took away from it because I was paying so much attention to the detail in the animation and sophistication of it. But there's something, like, I don't think you notice so much in CGI because animators usually animate the whole scene. So, you know, I get right. the whole scene and to you're do. All, yeah, you're, you're all using the same 3D model, the same textures. So yeah, it's, it's just a matter, same. you know, you can't really get that too off mm. model. So it was just, just interesting to notice it this time around. But still love the movie. Oh, so what do you think about sequels? Yay, um, yay. Well, sequels. Well, I think we've already talked about our dislike for sequels. In well, <laughs> I, okay, in my defense, I dislike sequels just because they're so poorly done. But at the same time, they're so good. Yeah, like uh, sometimes just maybe because I just watched him over and over and over again, I kind of have that affinity for him. But you know, I, I do like to see extensions of the character. What true, happened next? For sure, but usually they're poorly done. A couple hours before doing this episode, I watched a scene from The Enchanted Christmas. It's actually the scene where um, it was kind of a, a vision of Christmas past for the Beast, and he's this uh, spoiled, rotten kid. You know, and he's like, "Oh, that's that's all you got for me for for Christmas," you know. How many are there? 36. Counted them myself. But, um, <laughs> so he's this super brat. It is a different type of animation. It's that Disney sequel animation. And, um, <laughs> I haven't read too much. it into, out. Yeah. You know, it, it's just got this different type of, of, uh, of look to it. And then the scene is, um, Forte, before he turns into the, the, the evil pipe organ, he's <laughs> playing a, a composition that he made for him. Hey, I would be, I'd be thrilled about that. And he's like, uh, you know, meh. You know, the beast, the little prince. Um, one thing to note in that scene is that he's, right after that, he sees the old lady, and she turns into the beautiful enchantress, and the curse begins. But in that scene, he is kind of an adolescent youth. He's kind of a teenager. So maybe that, you know, that, that could fill in one of our conundrums there. Uh, yeah. He's definitely, I'd say, he looks about 15 16 years old in that scene. That's one good thing that sequel did. <laughs> I remember... Solved it! Yeah, thank, thank you, sequel. <laughs> uh, I I do remember Forte being, uh, I thought he was an interesting villain. You know, he's this pipe organ, you know, and he kind of, from what I remember, you know, he kind of introduces this element of doubt into the Beast and Belle's relationship. Um, still still subpar, and, and as far as the animation, you know, you'll never get a better Beauty and the Beast villain than Gaston, but interesting uh, villain. That's the most uh, memorable thing for me from the sequel. I remember when it first came out, when the new sequel came out, I was so excited for the new and extended story from before the Beast transformed back into a human because, well, I'll be honest, I always thought he was better looking as a Beast. I mean, I guess I'm just not that big a fan of his animated like self afterward, but... He's charming. He's, uh, he's not a babe. I give him a He's European. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Okay, hold on. You can't use that excuse because most of all the Disney princes are European. Well, yeah. The long hair. And the French. I I'm defeated. <laughs> nah, I just, I, just I, I didn't buy the, the post-beast character when he's back into a prince. I just, nah. Yeah, I, I liked him as the beast. Hey, he was great as the beast. Who says a prince has to be good-looking? Maybe that's what their point was. The problem was he's a little too good-looking. Like, you know. Chiseled you your, jaw. 
Yeah, so. <laughs> I don't know. He looks kind of girly to me. I'm sorry. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so the the when it finally came out and I saw it, I was just like, eh, I gave it an okay as well. It wasn't that great. But I remember how they just used that same video many times afterward. But they didn't, I remember they didn't change the trailer for it. And so, like, every time it would come out, I thought it was, like, this new and extended scene from before he turns back. I'm like, wait, did they get another one? I don't know what happened here. But then I remember my mom, she didn't really understand. Like, she also thought that it was this new and great thing, and she knew that we enjoyed these movies. And so for, I think, two Christmases in a row, (laughs) we ended up getting the same video. Are you kidding me? No. I'm not kidding you at all. So now we have this new thing, you know, we have two VHSs of this, you know, video floating around. I'm just like, oh, Suckers. Um, marketing. That's where I want to be one day. <laughs> there you go. Oh, my You'll gosh. Be the so one selling I'll be things. the one selling you two copies of a video you don't want. Not, not only were you unfortunate enough to have one Disney sequel in your household, but two of the same movie? Yeah, I know. Oh, man. Oh, good time. For sure. So. I don't have much to say about the sequels. I remember watching one of them on YouTube uh, in, like, 14 parts, and oh. I, that's all I remember. So, now, move on. Was, were, there other, were there other sequels besides I the Enchanted Christmas? Two, right? There's Enchanted Christmas, and I, I think there's another one. I'm positive, but it's inconsequential. We're talking about the real movie. Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay. There's an there's, there's a, there's a ex-Disney intern who's, who's listening to this is like, well... I put my heart and soul into that. <laughs> Forte was my creation. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> okay. Sorry, dude. We got your back from now on out, right? No, we don't. <laughs> okay, favorite quotes. I'm a big Disney quoter, and I will quote just Disney quotes even when people don't understand what I'm talking about. I think Disney and animation quotes relate to all, sure. all situations, so... What are some of your favorite quotes? All right, me first. Okay, Okay, here we go. I hope you like it here. (laughs) Super, super awkward (laughs) moment between the Beast and Belle. He's like in this dark, foreboding castle, and they're like, hey, come on. You got to get this going. Say something nice to her. Uh, I hope you like it here. I just threw your father out and tried to eat him, and now I'm making you stay in here forever. (laughs) Good quote. That's very nice. (laughs) The castle is your home now, so you can go wherever you like. Except the Wesley. What's in the... It's forbidden. <laughs> We've already discussed that quote in length. I, I mean, it's my room. I have my stuff there. And I, I get really crazy when people touch my stuff, okay? I got the vortex, you know. And it, you just... My vortex is in there. <laughs> she wouldn't understand. Too, too geeky. Okay. I love all the lyrics to Be Our Guest, and I think we can thank Howard Ashman for that. Particularly, I love just the phrase, culinary cabaret. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, There's much, your alliteration. How much better of a description can you get? Hey, it's impossible. Which is it, what good. it was. It was fantastic. It's amazing. Um, another one. I like, I think anything Gaston says is hilarious. <laughs> when he, like, walks in, he's trying to, you know... He's trying to propose to her, and she's like, uh, when she's looking at him through the thing. He's like, this is the day your dreams come true. She's like, what do you know about my dreams, Gaston? Plenty. <laughs> Here, picture this. 
got a rustic hunting lodge, my latest kill roasting on the fire, and my little wife massaging my feet. But the little ones play on the floor with the dogs. I have six or seven. Dogs? No, Belle. Strong no, boys like me. Boys <laughs> like me. <laughs> you know, Morgan, you have an impeccable Belle impression. No. <laughs> you and I should have done that scene together. <laughs> you know. Oh, I love it. Um, yeah, Starry's got some of the most outrageous quotes. Expectorating. I had to kind of look that up to like see what it was. But um, I, I personally like Cogsworth. He's kind of that, you know, he's kind of that wormy you know, wormy guy. He kind of reminds me of Zazu as far as his, his yeah. voice, you know, his, his officiality, his formality. So I forget what they're doing. You know, they're trying to get Bell, they're trying to get Beast to get in good grace with Bell and, and suggesting what he should do to woo her. And you got Cogsworth that goes, well, there's the usual things, flowers, chocolates, promises you don't intend to keep. <laughs> uh, that promises you don't intend to keep line was apparently ad-libbed by David Ogden Steers to do the voice of Cogsworth. And so... Uh, I, I like it. it. It's a fun quote. <laughs> I love that quote. Like every time you watch that, like we watched that movie on in the th- with 3D, and when that line came up, everyone just started busting up laughing because it was just really was that funny. And you think people had seen these movies before, and so you know when you've seen a movie a bazillion times before, the lines get less and less funny. But that kind of shows how great the line was in the first place. You know, for it to stand the test of time, for sure. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Lots of good quotes. Any more? Oh, off the top of my head. Oh, you've got um, your asylum director. You know, he <laughs> takes in the idea of Gaston throwing Maurice in the asylum. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely despicable. <laughs> I love it. Um, same voice as um, as the priest on Hunchback of Notre Dame. What was his name? The priest Frollo. No, you know the, the bad. You know the bad guy. You know the guy who's like a closet sanctuary. Yeah. yeah. Uh, same voice. Really? Which is a great movie. I like that one. Doesn't get enough respect. Not for me. Oh, I think one of my favorite is when they were just like, you had the two, um, you had Cogsworth and Lumiere walking down the hallway with, with her, and she's like, oh, I'd really like to go take a look around. I've never been in an enchanted castle before. And then Cogs with enchanted. <laughs> Who said anything about the castle being enchanted? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't and know. And he turns to Olivia. It was you, wasn't it? I, I kind of figured it out on myself. <laughs> I kind of figured it out on my own. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. And I love one, Belle. She's like, Gaston, you are positively primeval. Why, thank you, Belle. Like, he doesn't, I don't know if he doesn't get it, or if he is actually Maybe he, flattered he delights by, in that. Flattered by it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, anyways, that's all I got for now. They're all quotable quotes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's all we got, guys. I, I was so glad that we were able to do this movie for our first one because it it really does started off to a great start. One yeah. of the one of the great Renaissance films that was done by Disney that really just started a new wave of happiness for me in my <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say we've talked about movies uh, from 2011, co- upcoming movies. Uh, there's always going to be that comparison between movies that come out now. And the Disney classics, and so hopefully, you know, what we see in the future, we'll be able to uh, be able to match up in, in quality and entertainment as 
as these Disney Renaissance uh, animated classics do. I completely agree. So, yeah, we'll have to figure out what our next episode movie will be. I don't I don't think it, you know, I was thinking about, oh, we could go in order. We'll start with Snow White and then pick, pick them all from there. But that's going to be a ton of Disney movies for forever, like our first year, which really isn't fair to the rest of the animation world. So we'll kind of... We'll be fair to the rest of them. (laughs) They're all so good. There are lots of good ones out there, so... So if you were to give Beauty and the Beast a rating, like on five stars, what would you give it? Oh, man, I'd give it five stars, really. I mean, it's not my my absolute favorite movie, but it's, it's it's a... amazing movie you look at all the ratings on you know all the toughest uh, critic sites on on the web and and just your own recollections and and it's just uh this beautiful magical epic movie i hate to overuse that word but it, it really is this this great big story and and uh, i just think it's not a flawless movie but but you know sometimes you know things are the most beautiful because they're imperfections but this movie deserves five stars in my book i agree it's a five star for me Everything is so well done. I mean, it was nominated for Best Picture. The animation is beautiful. The story is quick and, and really engulfs you. The characters are well-developed. You know, a lot of thought was put into this. And just having seen it in 3D with a full audience nearly two weeks after it was released, I mean, it really stands the test of time. Like, people are still laughing at the jokes. People are still, you know, you can learn to look around and people are smiling. And I left smiling. And I'd seen this tons of times, and I was smiling and laughing and loving it still. So five stars for me. Yeah, it definitely raised the bar as far as uh, animation pictures goes. Because of that, we also have the expectations as well as the ability to see wonderful, wonderful movies that are all being being brought to us because of the great predecessors before. I'm a huge fan, and I would give it a five stars as well. All right, five all around. Yeah, if you have any thoughts on this or questions or you want to submit a comment, you can just send it to our email. It's therotoscopers at gmail.com. Or you can also send us a tweet at therotoscopers at Twitter. Or we have a Facebook fan page. Find us there. We're also on Tumblr. We're kind of everywhere. Anywhere web-wise, just look up the Rotoscopers and you'll find us. But definitely give us feedback. Um, rate us on iTunes. Definitely after you've listened to a few episodes, we've worked out the kinks and audio <laughs> issues. There we go. It's This is the pilot episode. This is the one where we work out the kinks. We hear what the audience has to say, and then we go back and we fix it. So, Yeah, folks, this is this is episode four, A New Hope. Uh, we promise that Empire <laughs> Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi will be coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. Well, thanks for joining us for our first episode. If you want to catch us, you can catch us on all those things I just mentioned, but also at our individual spots. I'm Morgan underscore Burt at Twitter.com. And I am Chelsea Robson.blogspot.com. And uh, I have a Facebook. Oh, cool. Oh, gosh. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Mason Smith. Um, you can see some of my animation stuff. I'll get a, I'll get a domain or I'll get a site sometime. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, until then, we're the Rotoscopers. Welcome to the pilot episode of the Roto... (laughs) You're laughing at me. Shut up. Perfect. That's everything we need. Yay! Huzzah! Imaginary imaginary party. Yay! Okay, so here's what I'll do. Okay, back to this. (laughs) Oh, I'm so boring. I'm so mean. End the party. Back to business. (laughs) It's forbidden. (laughs) 
So, okay, sorry. You still want to party? <laughs> okay.